You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from the thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from the bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is the word of the Lord. It's a pretty popular text, and we tend to focus in on judge not. And it's interesting to have that in mind when there's other times when Jesus says things that seem to indicate you should use judgment. So he uh, says, if there's, a, if there's a brother that sins against you, he says exactly what you're supposed to do. In other words, I can see somebody's sin and know that they sinned against me. Or um, false teachers in the church, you, you hear them and you judge their teaching to be false. And he goes so far as to say, if they keep teaching it, then they don't have any place in the church because they're hurting the church. He talks about if you, to the disciples, if you go to a city and they don't welcome you as you leave, you kick the dust off your sandals. He talks to the Pharisees and he says seven times, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And so you get that picture of Jesus and then you hear, judge not and you will not be judged. And so as Christians, we have to go, what exactly does Jesus mean here in this instance? This idea of judge not or you are judgmental has really become this junk drawer term to mean several different things. And it depends on on your perspective. So it could be someone saying, you know, you, you Christians, whatever, you're being judgmental could mean that we're just being rude. That's a possibility. Might mean that. We'll talk about that one here in just a second. Um, it could mean um, 
Okay, well, it could mean a bunch of different things. It could just mean, uh, I'm kind of convicted right now, leave me alone. But I'm just going to go, oh, you're being judgmental. It could mean, why do you think you're the only one that can, why, why can you tell me what to do? You're the only one that knows right and wrong. Is that what you're saying? There's a bunch of different ways that it can be meant. And I got to be honest, I, I have heard this from non-Christians quite a bit, but lately I hear it, I haven't heard it there as much, maybe because I'm a pastor and I hang out with Christians more, but um, I, I hear it more from people in the church as a means of sort of self-regulating. Well, I don't want to be judgmental. And the question I want to ask is just, is just what, what do you mean when you say that? Do you mean the same thing that Jesus actually means? A guy named Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's a great read. It was 19, is in the early 80s, I think 83. And he made a comment. He said, you will stop hearing the term big brother because we will do it to ourselves. You see that with social media and tweeting and uh, you know, filming every single thing going on. And, he's, and he said this, what, 40 years ago now, you'll stop hearing the term big brother because we will do it to ourselves. I actually don't hear this from outside the church near as much as I do from Christians that say we shouldn't be judgmental. And then if I ask, what do you mean by that? It, the, the answer is very wildly. And it means different things to different people. And so since we don't really know and we think, ooh, if I do something, it may be considered judgment, then our response is silence, which is no good. So what do we do? A couple things I want to do today. I want to, uh, first thing, I want to really take the power out of that phrase as it's used in the common culture and really restore to it what did Jesus mean when he said this, when he said, judge not. And I, I have to say, as I'm thinking about trying to take the power away from it, I'm going to try not to get on my soapbox too much. But imagine going up to somebody of a different faith. Imagine going up to a Mormon and saying, I have these two words from your holy book that somebody that's important to you said at one point, I haven't read the Book of Mormon, I haven't read the Pearl of Great Price, but I'm going to throw these words back to you now and um, say you ought to live by the way that I'm understanding them. Like, I would get creamed in that conversation. I wouldn't even begin to have that conversation. Yet in our world today, possibly because there was such this Christian ethos, people can feel like they know what the Bible said, they'll come up and go, judge not, doesn't the Bible say judge not? And Christians go, oh yeah, that makes sense. And we sort of just get quiet about it. But the other, the bigger thing, I'm going to calm down, sorry. The bigger thing about this is when someone says, you are judging me, they are actually judging you twice. The first thing they're doing is they're saying, they're looking at what you're doing and going, you're judging me. And the second thing they're doing is saying, you're judging me, and I judge that to be a bad thing that you're doing. So they're actually doing the very thing that they are accusing me of or you of. And so this isn't, this isn't like us against them. I simply want to just say, if, if that enters your mind, what I want to do is recapture it and redefine it for you, the way Jesus meant it. I watched this week the movie, The Princess Bride, because I had this quote and I thought, I don't remember where it is. I better just watch the whole thing. So I did. Uh, for you. And uh, <clears throat> I watched this and it's the guy, the guy in the middle there that keeps saying, inconceivable. You remember him? And then Montoya, the guy to his left over here, finally once just goes, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. That's the exact quote that came to mind to me when we're thinking about this idea of judging, judgmentalism. What is it? 
Well, we keep using the word and I have to say, I don't think people know what it means. Or it's just our own definition instead of what did Jesus mean so followers of Jesus can do that. So the first thing we gotta do, let's put this verse in its context. That's why he read a ton of scripture there was because um, this is in a story. It's in the gospel of Luke. And what was right before this, before he gets to don't judge? And it was, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you uh, or mistreat you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. We talked about this last week extensively. If you love those who love you, it says, what benefit is that to you? Meaning that's not even grace. You just love the people that love you. Good job. Everybody does that. He says, for sinners, love those who love them. Verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? He says, that's not grace either. For sinners, do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? That's not grace. Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Then he says, judge not. So something we have to understand in the context with when we, as we're wrapping our mind around this thing called judgment, he starts out by saying, love your enemies. I hope this is the biggest waste of breath, but there's no place in the Christian life for condescension one another, to one another. Condescension is the idea of con like with, I am descending, like I'm descending from on high to be with you. There's no place for condescension. I don't care how wrong they are, how wrong you are, how right they are, how right you are, how moral you are, anything like that. There's no place in the Christian life for it. The only legitimate place for condescension ever was that first Christmas when God sent his son to condescend to the earth to save us from our sins. That is legitimate condescension. If somebody is taking the word, you're being judgmental, if they mean that to mean um, you're being rude, we should conduct our lives in such a way that they're forced to find a different word because we would be maddeningly just loving and gracious and kind to them regardless of their response. That's where all this starts. And then that's when we get to judge not and you will not be judged. Look at these words, condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the question we're really getting to is, what in the world does this mean? He says things, don't judge, don't condemn, do forgive and do give. Those are the things. Don't judge, don't condemn, do forgive and do give. Do forgive and do give. There's about three ways that people understand this, and I wanna offer some clarification here. Um, some of these may all have, uh, Jesus doesn't just have to have one specific meaning in every single thing that he says. There might be a little more to it. So there might be hints of this in, um, in all of it. The first one you hear quite a bit is um, when you say, judge not or you will be judged. If I 
um, cast my judgment on another human being, they will in turn respond poorly and probably start coming back at me with judgment. That's one way to understand it. And that might have some truth to it. I mean, it has truth in real life, to be honest. I don't know if that's what Jesus is trying to say here because you look at this idea of judge and condemn and forgive. And those are big, like supernatural kind of spiritual terms that he's using. And I think it's more relating to our relationship with God. But it is true. You know this, if if someone comes at you, sometimes you wanna come at them right back. Oh, well, you're not so perfect yourself. So it is true. I just don't know if that's what he's saying. The second um, way to understand it is the idea that if you judge others, God will then judge you. Or if you condemn somebody, then God will condemn you. And I think if someone means that to just mean that God is watching, and if you're being rude, if you're condemning somebody, if you're judging, if you're doing that, that God is watching what you're doing, And um, if you're in sin yourself, he doesn't let that go unpunished. Like that might be what it means. But at the same time, if you really take that out to the final degree, um, if you condemn somebody, God will condemn you. Well, biblically, my condemnation and my judgment, the justice of God, the hammer fell on the cross upon Jesus Christ. And so if you read it that way, it sounds like there's something I could do that still leaves me open to the condemnation of God. And I don't think that's exactly um, what it's saying, even though I do think it's true that if we're behaving in a certain way, God still sees it. And um, I think the best way to understand it, though, is this. Remember what the Pharisees were doing in the first century, especially, that they had the law of God, and then they also invented all their own rules as well. And they said, you need to live according to these rules. And if you, God says this, man now adds this to it. And we say, you have to obey all this or you are condemned to death, that you are, you are not a follower of Yahweh. You are apart from him. That's what they were saying. And I think what he's saying here is um, when he says, judge not, he's saying, you are not the final judge and you are not the ultimate judge. Do not put yourself in the place of God. Condemn not. Don't stand with somebody else and say, based on what God says, based on kind of what I say, I declare that you stand out of relationship with God. He's saying, don't put yourself in the place of God. It's been said, judge sins, not souls. I don't speak as though I am God, but I can speak for God. I think that's really what he's getting at. Remember your place before God. You are not the one that comes in and offers judgment, condemnation, and finally, ultimate forgiveness. You can't offer forgiveness for their sins. God himself through his son, Jesus Christ, is the only one capable of doing that. And this is putting ourselves in the place of God. And Jesus says, be wary of that. Can we do that? Can we ever have God's truth and then our truth and then get worked up about both of them the same amount? I grew up in um, in the South, and um, and uh, I remember I talked with a kid at my church, and he was going to sneak off because his parents didn't want him to get a tattoo, and he was going to sneak off and get a tattoo. And I remember that I had culturally, it had been so infused into me that that was wrong that I remember not even getting worked up that this kid was about to go lie to his parents and hide something behind his back. But I was like, (gasps) 
you're getting a tattoo? There was something inherently so wrong about that. And I got so worked up about that and not even the, the core issue. The other one was piercings. Oh my goodness. Like that was just what it was in that day. It was like the good kids do this, the bad kids, that's a cultural, culturally that's where we were. And so like piercings, people had everything pierced and I was like, well, I'm not, at least I'm not them. And then they would have like, the ladies were allowed, allowed to have like two little things and that was about it. And then, but if it got like two on each ear, that was a little crazy ladies. If it got like here or here or anything, it was like, oh, that's a bit much. And I remember as a kid seeing that, and I remember hearing about people at church talking about that and feeling like, oh, that must be something that I'll take, I'll take the commands of God and then I'll take whatever this cultural thing is and I'll put those two together. See how it starts to kind of get in your mind? And now I live in Colorado. <laughs> it's very different. When you cross the border to move here, they go, there's where you get your tattoo, there's where you get pierced, and here's your dog. I think that's the third one. You have to get a dog. We figured that one out. And so what happened? So I had this cultural thing that I had to overcome. We had, well, I'll have these. What about how you view your politics or America, and does that ever get mixed with the commands of God? What about how you, um, how you view the, the younger generation today? Sometimes we look at the younger generation and go, well, in my day, being a lady meant you did this. In my day, a real man was like this. And so you need to get back into those categories. And there's some there that's good, but we got to admit there's some that's tradition. There's some that this is what we did and this is what you should do. And it is so freeing to be able to separate those two things. That's one of the things that Jesus is calling us to do here. We don't put ourselves in the place of God. He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. Think about what he's saying. He's saying there is a teacher and there's a disciple or a follower. And the goal is that eventually when this guy is gone, that this person will now be able to have other followers, that he'll be able to teach other people. He's saying that someday the leaders will be replaced by followers, will be replaced by followers, will be replaced by followers. He says, that's, that's the plan. What's he calling us to? He, he's saying in these types of interactions when there's judgment involved, what happens? You are, to, you are reaching down and trying to lift people up. The goal is to help. Now, I, I really don't even know. I, I don't know if... Um, you know, one of the issues is, is the idea of don't judge, does that mean we shouldn't have a sense of right and wrong? I don't know if anybody really thinks that's what he means when he says don't judge. That's not what he means. And I can prove it to you. If I stood up here and you were the least judgmental person ever, and I said, I don't like poor people, you would immediately hear that and think that's wrong. Everybody thinks we all understand that there has to be some standard of right and wrong. Some here we say you're individual, some they fall on us all, those kinds of things. But I don't think anybody really says there's no right and wrong. Maybe people do, I don't know. But what he's saying is when you do see that somebody is outside of the will of what their creator has for them, you're bent and your heart should be not to condescend to them, but to help lift them up, to bring joy to them that they might know the Lord as well. And here's what he says. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? This is brilliant teaching by Jesus. You get the idea of sin in our lives and he uses a speck and then he pictured a guy with a big old tree trunk growing out of his eye. That's what he's talking about. 
okay? Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out that's in your eye when you yourself don't see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye and then what we tend to think it says is then ignore the speck in your brother's eye. That's not what it says. It says, help him remove. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck, to help him remove the speck in your brother's eye. You are doing something for their good. What's he saying? One of the things he's saying is, check yourself. You got a big log in your eye? Are you looking at somebody, like I think if Nikki and I were in a disagreement and she's talking to me about something, then all of a sudden what, ha- what tends to happen in our flesh is that there'll be a little bit of log in my, or a little bit of speck in my eye and then a little bit of a log in her eye, of course. And then she'll look at me and go, you got a little bit of a log in your eye and I've got just a little speck in my eye, right? My thing's not a big deal. Yours is a big deal. And as the conversation goes on, All I can do is think my speck keeps getting smaller and smaller and her tree trunk just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. How's that for resolving conflict? All I see is the bad stuff in you and the good stuff in me. Oh, well, all I see is the bad stuff in you and the good stuff in me. And Jesus says, you need to have the humility to stop and evaluate and say, just a minute, what about me and what about my sin? It's not easy. I'm saying it like it's really easy. So just take the log out. It's really hard. Because in that moment, too, you have to think about that, don't you? You know, one of the logs that I can get wedged in my eye is um, when it comes to any kind of discussion or argument. Um, I don't know why. Maybe some of you suffer from the same thing. I want to be right. And I am right. And so I want you to know that I'm right. And I need to be very clear that I'm right and you're wrong. And I realize what a dumb way to enter into a discussion like that. I need to go, let me get that out of here. That's my junk. That conversation's not gonna go anywhere. I normally would sit there and go, yeah, yeah, I probably shouldn't wanna win. But you, I can't control anybody else. I can control me. I'm thinking about some logs that might be in your eye. I'm um, thinking about maybe some parents that have adult children that have walked away from the faith and it just seems like constantly just, it's just not going well. One of the ways you can evaluate is to think, is there a log in my own eye as I'm interacting with my son or with my daughter? Am I getting my sense of worth based on their success? Do I feel embarrassed around my church friends because my kid's not doing this and so everything I do when I'm with them comes through that filter and comes through that lens. It is the most freeing thing to just take that out and then you look at your kid and just want to love them back to the Lord. Here's why it matters. Here's what matters about it. Look at it, verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, 
And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And here it is. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is a recurring theme with me, and I'm going to keep saying it until we start to believe it. That quite often what we see in people, we have a behavior issue, but it stems from something deeper. That's what he's saying. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. The kid at school that's just um, talking, 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 and the teacher's going, he needs to quit talking. We can go quit talking in school and change the behavior, but the underlying issue might be, does he have any respect for authority in his life? What he's talking about here is there's something in your heart and then you see the fruit from it. And what he's saying is Christians should be more discerning than to just look at somebody's action and think, how do we change that action? It's what's going on in their heart. I've told you I was a youth pastor for about, um, gosh, with about the same group of kids for about 15, or not, I mean, they all graduated, but 15 years. And it was in uh, Dallas. And it's in, if you're familiar with Dallas, the Highland Park, Park City, University Park. And we literally called it the bubble. So you would have a, um, I didn't, they did. But they'd be in the bubble and there would be a Bible study like two feet outside the bubble And it was like the people that lived in the bubble didn't want to go outside the quarantine zone or whatever it was to go to a Bible study that was two minutes away. And so in that area, um, there was a lot of, you know, you've got America, the South, Texas, Dallas, bubble. And so you've got like a lot of groupthink, a lot of commonality. And I found as a youth pastor at the same church, I could watch kids come through and I could see um, patterns in their life and I could look at the patterns and I'd started, after I was there for a while, I could start to see enough that this is happening. And so my guess is her life will look like this or her life will look like this. And there were a few markers I could do. And I could, I could tell you uncannily, with uncanny, uncanny accuracy, if they were going to walk with the Lord in college and into young adulthood or not. And it would just be a few points that I could, that I could take in. And so a big one was um, how they could interact with adults, for example. Um, if I'd watch them with their kids and I'd watch them with adults. And I could pretty well look and get a good feel for uh, th- this kid is going to have a difficult life. They'll probably walk away from the Lord or this kid, great, she's in a good spot and I think great things are going to happen. Now, obviously that's dangerous to try and go, I had three minutes of conversation. I've got your whole future laid out for you. I tried not to do that. Um, there would be a negative way you could do this, which is to go, okay, I see this interaction. Therefore, I think I know what's going to happen with you. So you're fine. Regardless of what I do, you're going to turn out fine. Or the opposite to go, I'm seeing some things in your life. I'm watching you with your parents. I think you're gonna walk away from the faith and give up on people. Tried a different approach. Started to um, use the same kind of inputs to try and watch them, to minister to them, to build relationships with them. And I would watch, parents would be in my office and they would just talk about, can you help, your, help my kid not do these things? And I'd go, yeah, sure, don't do those things. And and even if it worked, they'd get to the end and go, okay, but there's still some core issue and that issue would just come out in all these different ways. And so what I started to do, I started to look and I go, I see the fruit. I wanted, what's going on the tree? Like what's going on the trunk and the roots? 
What's really happening here that's making this happen? And Jesus is saying one of the loving things we can do is we can see somebody's life, we can try and think, what is happening, right? God, show me what is going on in their life and how can I minister to them? And so one of my greatest joys through the last kind of, oh, seven, eight years or so of my ministry at this church, I loved this. I loved, sorry, I loved watching kids that everybody else gave up on and that I would look and go, your life is gonna be like that. And to try and figure out what is the root issue and to go and to get with them, to get with their parents and everybody else is talking about all this stuff up here. I think this is the issue. Let's invest in them like this. And then you watch them grow up and be a pastor, be a missionary, be leaders in their church, even into young adulthood. Oh, it's awesome. Remember one in particular, I sat with this, uh, this girl <clears throat> probably... 16 years old, as she was driving, 16 at least, sitting in the office and she is texting the entire time. It is me, it is her, it is her two parents, and she is on her phone texting the entire time. And she's just sitting here doing this. Every so often we would say something and ask her and she would go, what? Like didn't even have any awareness, like we're talking about you, so you might wanna tune in. She was totally tuned out. I have watched her, I'd watched her interact with some of the boys in the youth group. I'd watched her act with some of the girls, the you know, opposite sex, same sex. I watched her with parents. I watched her with adults and I was concerned about her and the parents came to me and they actually said as we were sitting there that we think she's doing drugs, we think she's sleeping around, and, but you know, who are we to say anything? <laughs> it was one of those conversations. And... Um, and I could see the parents removed. I could sense kind of their pain that they were feeling. And I could see this girl still texting or playing a game or something. I don't know what she was doing on her phone. And it would have been easy for me to go, put your phone down, pay attention. Her parents would have gone, yeah, yeah, but that's embarrassing. Put the phone down. Hey, you shouldn't do these things. Uh, I could show you a Bible verse that says, don't do these. Don't, don't, stop, stop doing these things. And that might last for like a week. And I thought, and I'd seen enough that I thought, I think I know her issue. And I just had to take a guess. I, again, I can't be 100%, but I thought, I think she wants her dad's attention. And I said, um, I sort of said that nicely of, I think you two could spend more time together. I said, what would you think about if you took her out on a little daddy-daughter date and you guys just spent time together and you did it once a month? And he goes, oh, well, that'd be good. You could see him, though, going, my teenage daughter isn't going to want to do this. And I said, what do you think? Going out, going out with your dad, just the two of you, once a week or once a month. For the first time, she puts her phone down and she turns to her dad and this 16-year-old, like, kind of tough girl goes, really, daddy? She's doing great, the last I saw. I suggested they get together once a month and they, from that day on, so she's probably a sophomore, junior, um, once a week, father and daughter would go out with no phones and have conversations. Her dad accepted her and it changed everything. We were in college, there was a guy that was, uh, one of our friends was an alcoholic and all my friends started going to him and saying, you should quit being an alcoholic, which if you've ever talked to an alcoholic like that, they'd say that's the worst. Now I just feel like a failure. And they were going, just going, you should just quit. You should just stop that. And, um, and I said, I don't think that's it. I think he's looking for friends. And so we, me and some buddies just said, for the next month, this guy 
Matt, Chris, who cares? His name's Chris. And I said, let's get Chris in everything we do. Let's just bring Chris with us. And he just came with us to everything. And after that month, to our knowledge anyway, for the rest of college, he never had another drink. Why? Because there was something going on that he was going, I need friends. I need acceptance. And we went, oh, yeah, come do that. And everybody else is talking about alcohol. And we're going, just come hang out with us. We need to use excellent discernment to try and say, what is the heart of the issue? And how can I love people by meeting that need? The point Jesus is making is not never judge. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, here's how, as Jesus meant it. There's no place for rudeness, for condescension, for being holier than thou and high and mighty. The first thing we do is we check and say, is this what the creator, their creator says, or is this Jim's opinion? Is this what I think? Our motive is always lifting other people up. We always, the method is we take our own logs out first and we go to them. And then we try to see through to their heart. Here's a simple prayer to sum this all up. If you're looking for something to pray, you can pray, God, open my eyes to your truth, my sin, and their need. Your truth, my sin, and their need.